Welcome to Leaders with Ambition, the podcast that delves deep into the careers of some of the UK's most successful leaders working in professional services firms. We aim to discover the secrets behind their success, the challenges they've overcome, and to find out what traits make a successful leader. Hello and welcome to the latest in the podcast series, Leaders with Ambition. And today I'm absolutely delighted to welcome Lucy Rao today. She is the current Business Development and Marketing Director at Boodle Hatfield. And we've got a really interesting story to share today, which actually shows Lucy starting to study chemistry at King's College, uh, takes her through some selling of merchandise at the Lion King Theatre production and to Australia and in Australia building a successful career at A&O and um, she was at A&O for nearly 10 years and also spent some of that time working in the UK as well. She's recently moved into the business development and marketing director role at Boodle Hatfield and I think one of the things that resonated um, with me when, when Lucy and I have spoken before is the reason why she chose that organisation, that firm. She really does recognise the importance of working in a supportive culture with a real positive work-life balance and being a mental health champion and mental health first aider, I think Lucy really wanted to find a firm that demonstrates the values that she so strongly believes in. So without further ado, I'm going to hand over to Lucy. And Lucy, please do bring your career to life for us. Thank you. So yeah, so first of all, I grew up in Devon and then moved up to London to go to uni to study chemistry. Uh, Really, I've always been a science geek, Um, absolutely love everything about science and everything to do with being able to take a theory and apply it, Um, but really didn't want to work in a lab, Um, really enjoy interacting with people. And I got a lot of that from when I worked in the theatre and selling the the Lion King merchandise to all the tourists and all the visitors to that theatre, young and old. So I um, ended up falling into a sales role and went into a media sales job with Haymarket Publishing, which was a great sort of baseline for me. It got me um, some amazing sales training that has stuck with me until this day. And I was even saying on my sales structure the other day to one of my lawyers um, in my new firm. So it gave me a great grounding, really, of um, my sales experience, um, sales techniques, and also some people management training as well. Um, And you probably still need to use your sales techniques quite a lot, I would imagine, working with the partners. Absolutely. Yeah, I think, well, one of the reasons I moved into professional services is because I loved the theory of sales and applying it and building relationships, but actually I didn't want to be commissioned anymore. And so being able to coach lawyers and partners on um, the basics of sales and seeing that come to fruition where they do win work or they've progressed relationships forward is really, really rewarding to me. So no, it's, it's given me a great, great basis for the BD roles that I've been done. I've done since then. Yeah, so I was in media sales and decided been in London for about six years and was ready to sort of do something a bit different. Wasn't sure if I wanted to stay in sales or not. I had been on holiday to Australia and stayed with some friends on their floor for two weeks and was like, you know what, let's just give this a go. I didn't want to move back to Devon, didn't really want to stay in London and didn't want to move to any other city in in the UK. And I'm absolutely rubbish at languages. So I needed to move somewhere that spoke English. So um, Australia it was. So I uh, bought an open return ticket, went over to Australia by myself and managed to find a temp job in a audio conferencing company. And they got wind that I had been in sales and a sales manager things before so there was a role I started in Sydney but there was a role that came up in Melbourne and if I got that role then I would have been sponsored so I jumped at that chance because I wasn't ready to leave Australia at the end of my one-year visa I cancelled my return flight home and uh, moved to Melbourne for a couple of years where as an account manager moved back to Sydney because I really preferred Sydney over Melbourne um, Melbourne was very European and I was like well I could just fly an hour if I'd stayed in the UK to get Europe I'd rather feel like I've moved to the other side of the yeah. world so back in Sydney I uh, was in sales um, for a few more years and then yeah got frustrated with commissions and targets and things like that so sort of keeping my eye on the market and suddenly just stumbled across this magical world of professional services marketing and um, 
went into an interview with PwC, had no idea what I was walking into and promptly <laughs> flunked it. Um, but then, um, but I really liked the idea of it. And I actually found a really, really good recruitment agent over there who really helped me, really explained the ins and outs of professional services marketing, the pros and cons of different firms versus consultancy firms. Ended up interviewing with, um, well, before all the mergers, Malisons and Herbert Smith Freehills, and then A&O. They were about 12 months into the Australian market. And opted to go with A&O after I got offers from all of them, mainly because A&O was a lot smaller. Um, so it was a lot more hands-on. Uh, it wasn't a specialist role. So I could really um, get my hands dirty, so to speak, and really experience everything from PR events through to pitching, through to client relationship management, through to everything. Because even though obviously A&O is a great big global beast, when you're outside of London, actually, you do a lot of stuff because the support the support teams there are heavily London-based. And sometimes, particularly in Australia, time zones don't always work out, unfortunately. Yeah. So it and, was... And were, you, were you aware of the reputation of A&O? Because having not been in professional services before, as you say, you, you, you went and had some interviews with some law firms, with a, a, an accountancy practice. Were you aware of, of the firms? Had you done some research yourself or, or were you reliant on uh, the experience when you were going through the interview? Reliant on the experience and just my basic web research, to be honest with you, the, the legal industry was a whole new world to me so and I had no idea I had to Wikipedia what magic circle meant um good judgment right <laughs> um no it was it was purely based on yeah the interview interview process advice from the recruitment agent that I used and I say all all firms were great really impressive great people that I met it was the, the decision purely came down to where would I get the best experience in terms of yeah cutting across all roles of business development, comms and marketing, because I was very aware coming from sales, it was a completely new area. And I didn't really know what I liked, what I didn't like to be able to make that decision as to did I want to specialise in client relationship management or did I want to specialise in just BD? So, A, you know, it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. get that. It's interesting to hear, as you say, you know, being when when a firm is got it's quite London centric with uh, support services functions and the role that you took was so big and so varied. And that must have been really exciting for you as well to be thrown into this world and have all this great uh, exposure, experience, learning. Yeah, it was brilliant. It was it was a very steep learning curve, um, but it was Lovely. it was lots lots of good fun. Had lots of pen pals around the world, um, and yeah, it just it it just threw up some really interesting challenges. So not just getting to grips with things like the directories. I mean, that was a whole new crazy world to to come into, um, and how law firms operate, obviously on a sort of flat management basis and things like that. Having come from a corporate. But also just smaller things around, maybe not smaller things, but but diff, very different things in terms of brand. What how brand resonates in different jurisdictions, and and so when we were talking to the brand team in London for A and O, actually the brand in Australia was very very new, and we often got confused with a competitor firm called Allen's over there. So oh. the, the the brand challenges with head office versus Australia were very very different, and sort of trying to negotiate that in to be able to stretch the brand to make it work for the local market was really an interesting project to be part of, particularly um, heavily involved in the grad recruitment in that respect. Because at that time, back in 2012, global firms were brand new in the Australian market. They, it was pre the Herbert Smith Rehills merger, pre the Kingwood Mallison's merger. So the dominating firms in Australia were true Australian firms. So A&O, promptly followed by Tiffany Chance, was, were one of the, some of the first of those big, big magic circle global firms to really move into the market. You know, Bakers had been over there, Norton Rose had been over there. Um, that was the starting point for some of the, the big UK firms and the big US firms coming in as well. So yeah, things like exciting. grand recruitment. Yeah, mm-hmm. it was a really exciting time. Um and I was there to do the five-year anniversary and we had the global board over and it was just, it was it was great to see how far we'd come and how we built the client base up and the profile of the, the firm in the Australian market and just how the Australian market had changed over the last five years as well. So it was a really, really exciting time and really sort of pleased to have been able to jump into such a big firm like A&O, but it, when they were so new into, an, into a new market. And did you find that um, challenging in the Australian market then? Were, were, at the time, were, was it, were, were other companies and firms embracing 
this new you know in the even though global firm in Australia or was it was it a lot of real hard nails and hard work to get the brand out there it was real yeah hard work re-education a lot of the GCs in Australia really only had Australian remits so they didn't look outside of Australia for in regards to law firms and the quality of law firms in Australia is fantastic and you know they are older than some of the big magic circle firms so they've got a bigger history in the market huge reputations and so to bring in a global firm into a market that wasn't hadn't quite tipped the cusp of looking globally just yet it was a real re-education and you know but it but that changed we saw gcs who typically had a um, australian remit then suddenly start taking on other countries particularly across asia and suddenly they were being forced to look right across the asia pac region as opposed to just to the edge of the aussie borders so it was really good to sort of be there alongside them um, when they were yeah. making some of those changes and so and it was really impressive when we were able to bring in some of the international partners into australia and kind of do sort of comparisons between different laws and jurisdictions or challenge just taking the same topic but how it might play out differently in different jurisdictions and that sort of went down really really well really kind of selling the cross-border seamless collaboration pitching to the clients as well it just it worked really really well slowly but surely we got there (laughs) yeah and uh, you reported into the UK did you at the time no, so we had a um, head of BD in Australia and then we reported into the director who was in Asia Pac. And so we reported up that way. How did you find you know, yourself progressing your career? Because you were obviously part of something growing and you must have grown very rapidly as well with your career development. So how did you find that? And were you, you, know, were you in the right place at the right time or were you grasping opportunities? Were you going out there trying to meet more people, you know, speak to the partners, help to do this brand awareness development pitching? And I think because Australia was quite a small, we had two offices, but it was quite a small partnership in Australia. So I had lots and lots of exposure to the partners. And I also worked quite closely with the managing partner because he was one of the the practice partners that I worked with as well. So that was really great that I had all that exposure. And being a small team meant that all sorts of stuff got thrown your way. So I was lucky enough to be able to run the five-year anniversary event and all the board visits. And so then I met the board and things like that. So I think there are there's pros and cons into being in being in a smaller office and, and one of them is definitely the you get stuck in and anything can come your way and you do get exposure to lots of the senior partners as well um I think one of the cons is that, that there's only so far your career can go in that small team in terms of promotion wise and so that's sort of something you just have to sort of balance out as to I think how much learning can I get from the role that I'm in and t- it takes you to a point and then you're like, no, I am ready to be promoted or have a new challenge. You know, I kind of, I feel like I've taken, ev- I've done everything that ever could possibly be thrown at me. Yeah. Um, but I, that was at the point also though when I had my son um, and so my priorities slightly changed. And so I wasn't, well, part of me was still eager to progress quickly because I don't yeah. think that's ever gone away in me. But <laughs> I had to really realise that maybe that wasn't the right priority for me at that time. Yeah. So yeah, so I had my son back in, 2013 because I should remember what year he's born (laughs) (laughs) and I went part-time with A&O in Sydney so it was great that I was able to do that and I dropped down to three days a week when I came back from maternity leave Um, and was it it a part-time role or were you doing five days a week just happened to be doing three three days physically in the office so that the three day a week role was was a part time role. So um, I right. was before before I had my son, I was looking after the corporate practice, which was very much a five day a week role. We had just launched a litigation practice, which was only two partners big. And so actually, I was very lucky. They were able to kind of rejuggle the teams so that I would pick up that litigation practice. So it was small enough to be able to be a three day role. What I think one of my biggest challenges, though, going back from switching from full time to part time, even though I had maternity leave out in the middle of it, was I went from sort of being really involved in pretty much everything that was going on or knowing everything that was going on within the firm, within the BD team. And, you know, I really enjoyed sort of almost being the the 2IC, I suppose, in, in that regard. But going part time and I had to really kind of step back from that. And I hadn't really realized that I'd have to do that, which sounds silly because, you know, you're going for five days, to three days. So it should have been obvious, but it, it wasn't to me in the, in the middle of it. And that was a really big learning for me was yeah. I had, you know, I was prioritizing the time I was spending with my son whilst he was still a baby. 
but that meant I had to step, take a step back slightly and being so ambitious in my career and just wanting to be involved in everything and um, knowing everything that's going on and driving everything forward. I just couldn't possibly do that. And so that was, that was a bit of a challenge for me to kind of accept, but, but once I did, actually, I was perfectly fine with it and it, it worked really, really well. I did up a day though. <laughs> I got to the point where I up today went to four days. But again, that was that was more because the team was changing again, and it made it, to be able to sort of help with the team dynamics. Because one of our team moved relocated to A and O in London, I picked up an extra day, and that was doing five days in four days. So that role that turned out to be more work squeezed in. It's challenging as well, though, isn't it, Lucy? Because you know, as you say, you're a very ambitious woman. That's that's obvious but you've got a son and you want to spend time with him and uh, particularly when children are little as well you just it, it makes more sense to, to to tread water for a little bit and try and get that balance so that you can then progress your career again as a, and when the children get a little bit older but I do think it's a challenge as you say you, you know to to withdraw yourself from being so involved in everything to being on on a part-time basis. So, you know, it's not necessarily that the partners are demanding more of your time. They were probably stepping back to allow you Mm. to do your part-time job, but then you do feel very much that you're missing out, don't you? So it's really hard to get that balance. Yeah, it is. And partners were incredibly respectful. Everybody was, you know, it was not an issue that I was part-time at all. And, you know, it, there were instances where I chose to work on, on my day that I wasn't supposed to be working purely because there might have been a deadline and it was quicker for me to just do it than it was to hand it yeah. over. But whenever someone called me on the on my non-working days, they were ever so apologetic. And, you know, it was respectful. It was just purely time you know three days means that you're not in when all the meetings are on or when all the projects are being kicked off or whatever it might be and as I say looking back it sounds so logical now talking about it but yeah. but it wasn't when real, you're in it, it isn't. yeah yeah no it's not you just think oh, I'm going back to work will be exactly the same as it was before and of course it's not you know for, yeah. for many reasons and so. I think it's interesting as well because then you would have had to be in the office to be present and seen whereas now with uh with the pandemic and with hybrid working it probably would have felt a bit easier so I do think it's it'll be interesting to see people that are going through women that are going through those changes now and and maybe um, having part-time work alongside the hybrid or remote working to see if there is a a better balance and I I don't know will it be only time will tell indeed indeed yeah who knows where the world will end up really (laughs) (laughs) but you you went back into the four days a week role and then was that when you you had to return to the UK didn't you because I think you're very sadly you had uh, an illness in the family yeah so my mum died um or not long after my son was born and after a few years of being in Australia I'd really felt it was time to come home um but I loved and still love a and um, so really wanted to stay with them so it was handy that it was a UK headquartered firm yeah. um, and so spoke to my manager and, and director and you know so said I'd really like to stay there no but I want to move home you know are their roles going what, what's what's the score in London really and that luckily that a role did come up which suited me to a T because it was supporting the intellectual property practice so it really played on my science background which was um, really cool um, and I'd already worked with the head of BD who, who managed that role albeit from Australia on the other side of the world so um, I applied for that job and was really lucky to get it and so moved back to the UK in 2016 which was some respects just moving firms and some respects moving to a completely new firm it was it's, <laughs> it's the dynamics in in but just every country has its own culture, um, even in, yeah. you know, in a big, big organization, every office, every country has its own culture and way, way things are done. So and that was no different moving between Australia and, and London and a and So, no, it was really good. It, it, I definitely felt like the newbie again, which was funny, but I also knew how to use all the systems and all the tricks and tricks of tips of getting around all the nuances in the filing system. But no, that was that was really exciting. I moved over when they were a five partner practice. Well, I got the job, I should say, when it was a five partner practice. And by the time I'd actually landed on London soil, it was a nine partner practice. <laughs> so we'd yeah. done a lot of lateral recruitment between offer and landing. But it was a really exciting time to join the IP practice. 
And yeah, as I say, combined my sales skills, really interesting challenges around raising the brand of A&O in the UK, but in relation to intellectual property, obviously we're known very much as a banking and finance corporate firm, um, but it's not really known as an intellectual property firm. So that um, interesting challenges, but similar to what we went through in Australia, really, in terms of, you know, trying to raise the rankings of the directories, raising brand profile, you know, do we do we go down the commercial conference sponsorship? Do we not? So, so very similar sort of thought process that we went through in Australia, actually just a different subject matter. But really exciting, exciting times uh, working over here. And I also went up to five days a week um, when I came to the UK, partly necessity because my then husband um, didn't have a job moving over. So financially, it made sense. But also my son was at an age where he was what, three and a half and was going to nursery five days a week and was pretty happy in it. So, yeah, and he was, about, he was more flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. And he wasn't far off. He was a year and a bit start, off starting school where he'd be in five days a week anyway. So yeah. it made sense for me to, to go five days a week. Um, did you also feel that having come um, into the UK market, did that you needed to be present more than four days a week, maybe the five days a week so that you could really get to grips quickly and hit the ground running as well. Because as you say, it is quite different. Same company, same ethos, but different. Yeah. Um, trying to think if I thought about that. I think, I can't remember. <laughs> to be honest with you. <laughs> Let's say, yeah. It must have felt the same then. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It must have felt the same. Yeah, I also think it was just, I knew I was doing five days and four days and it was a bit like, well, I might as well just do the fifth day and pay for it. <laughs> but yeah so nice so I am so I was over in in A&O London for about five years and had just and was really really lucky I've been involved in heaps of things lateral partner really exciting lateral partner partner recruitments in various different countries you know market scoping various countries through to really strategic pitching to launching some big training conferences for our clients um implementing strategies and client relationships and things like that so I had a brilliant time at a and across the world to be honest with you and um, but it kind of got to the point around pandemic time where I was ready to sort of look for a new challenge there are brilliant people at a and but they're not going anywhere so yeah. <laughs> the opportunity sort of yeah. yeah and so I sort of made the decision I'd sort of just keep my eye on the market as sometimes we all do and just see what's out yeah. there but the pandemic hit and um, so I and then ho- I'm now a single parent and so homeschooling and working five days a week with the pandemic and locked in my house with my son as much as I love him and um, it's a bit much to try and look for a job at the same time and most of the jobs are calling. <laughs> yeah <laughs> I was like, let's not do that <laughs> so so we survived the pandemic. <laughs> we survived homeschooling, um, just, and then sort of decided at the beginning of this year that actually, well, clearly the pandemic's kind of here to stay, and we're going to find a way to just work around this. And um, homeschooling hopefully wasn't here to stay, and thank God, touch wood. Thank God. Um, yeah, I've seen the. I hope I've seen the back of it. I really do. I'm awful. <laughs> um, but, well, I respect the uh, teachers out there. Yeah. Yeah, there's a reason I'm not a teacher. <laughs> I can coach a partner, I can't teach a child. <laughs> so, yeah, I was just, as you do, scrolling LinkedIn now and again, keeping an eye on the job boards and things. And then um, a role came up for a marketing, BD marketing director. Um, and I was having a look at it. And what was really helpful was that the law firm name was published so Boodle Hatton's name was published so I got to go and sort of stalk them before I even made a decision as to whether I wanted to apply and I think it was for me to leave Aino was a really big jump for me in terms of you know obviously the comfort of I knew Aino inside out I knew intellectual property inside out I knew the market you know I know all the hot topics I knew the key key yeah. players in it I knew all the key people I knew, knew hundreds of people at Aino have really good relationships with the partners but on top of that, I had a really good support network at A&O being a single parent. And they were incredibly respectful of my of how I had to structure my day to be able to do the school runs at each end of the day. Um, the, the partners knew that they could get me on the phone and I could join meetings, but just not between five and six in the evenings. And in the mornings, I might just have to juggle things around, but they would try and avoid before 9.30, quarter to 10. And, and yeah, they I say the partners were really, really respectful of it. It was never an issue with most of my partners. 
um, and actually got some positive feedback out of it because I set boundaries with some of them. So Very that was good. <laughs> yeah. So leaving A and O was jumping into the unknown. Was would I find that acceptance and support? of being a single parent in another firm. Um, and of course, in lockdown and my son at son at home, he literally joined every single one of my meetings at A&O and no one batted an eyelid. And I know that's kind of quite commonplace now, but I also know there's big stereotypes around some of the magic circle firms that they would have just still frowned on it, but actually they didn't. And he got a bigger send off than I did from the partners really. So. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so when I was looking at Boodle Hatfield and saw, really saw their values and there was just a personality about the firm that shone out across the website. And so I thought, you know, this is the sort of firm I could see my situation working at and reading the job spec. I was like, well, I could do, I could do all that in my yeah. <laughs> confident yeah. way. So I reached out to the recruitment agent and just had a chat and then, yeah, got put through. And before I went for the interviews, I just made the decision that I'm just going to be me on the interviews. I'm not going to change who I am. I'm not going to pretend I'm more corporate or, you know, suddenly I know everything about the private wealth industry because I knew absolutely nothing. Um, <laughs> you can learn I, that. That's something you can learn. Exactly. Yeah. exactly. Um, but I was just going to be me and I was going to tell the odd bad joke if that came out of my mouth because that's often yeah. what happens with me. Um, and it's that stood me in really good stead. So obviously I got, I got the job. Hurrah. Um, and I'm still me to this day in that role, um, even when I present to all the partners. But the the values and the culture of the firm that I picked up on through the website is shut off true, are absolutely true. And the role is better than I expected. Agile working or hybrid working absolutely has played in, in my favour for school runs and things like that. But they are absolutely fine. What's the firm doing at the moment about agile working or hybrid working, Lucy? Is there a is there a set way of working at the moment? So, um, as with most most firms, have gone sixty forty across a month, um, and however you want to juggle it. So, it, and it's super it's quite flexible, and it's they also have put into place some core what they call core hours. So, they really identified that one of the benefits of of working from home was that actually people could flex their days so they could start a bit later or finish earlier and vice versa. Yeah. So so they've tried to sort of maintain some of the good things that came out of working from home to really try and maintain them through agile working. So that's one of the things they've tried to maintain so that people can flex their days a bit more. And and yeah, then you just book in, we have an app. So you book in when you're going to be in the office because we're still slightly social distancing in the office so then yeah. for those who office share and don't as aren't comfortable to office share yet then they just go and sit at flex desks and things but it's all all managed through the app which is quite good mm-hmm. um so yeah so it, it, it seems to be working really well um some people have now started sharing offices because people i think people are getting more comfortable but it seems to be working really well we as with every firm i think you know it's the do we don't we on the whole hybrid events and hybrid meetings so it's just trying to particularly internal meetings is just trying to get the internal hybrid meetings working so that everybody feels like they're involved in those meetings just the the poor host has to do it really does have to work harder to engage engage those who are on screen and in the office and try and stop the people who are on screen from doing other things whilst they're on screen and yeah. all, all, the, all the usual stuff. But, but I, I do think it's going to be, you know, the way that we're going to be working for a long period of time, if not forever, who knows what, what the mm. future will hold. So I do think it's important to be able to adapt. And if you, as you say, you've got to work hard to make it work. But if everyone's willing to work hard to make it work, then the likelihood is you'll it will work and if it doesn't you'll find a way to to do it better and I think that was one of your mantras that you mentioned to me previously that you know learn by your mistakes don't be afraid to make mistakes don't be afraid to try things and if it doesn't work try something else yeah yeah yeah. and that's exactly how they rolled agile working out at, at Boodles is it's a pilot we'll review it at the beginning of next year to see how it's gone what are the good things you know what are the things people aren't liking what's not working so I, I like that it's it's not set in stone um, and I like that you know if it doesn't work then let's find something else that might work and and that, that as you said goes real you know really to the heart of one of my values is is integrity and you know you can't be perfect all the time we all make mistakes we're all human it's put your hand up and let's just solve it I don't you know I'm not interested in how it happened and who's to blame and all that kind of stuff it's yeah. you know 
there's this perception or there's this issue, what do we do to get past it and, and change that perception or, or fix the issue? And that you're just, quite solution focused like that, Lucy, aren't you? That you know you you want to get to a solution, and you know that there's lots of different ways to achieve that. So I think one of the things that we discussed as well was this collaboration element, and that you don't need to do everything by yourself, and you can get other people's ideas and suggestions to find this perfect, whatever perfect is, way of of um, finding a solution to something. Yeah, no, absolutely, and I think particularly in BD. Being siloed and not collaborating is, is, you know, it's a death knell on your career, really, because collaboration and communication is absolutely key. I was really lucky at A&O that I sat in a six-person office with, and so IP obviously crossed over with tech and life sciences. So my manager was the head of sectors for all of A&O and then managed the um, life sciences and tech side of it. We had life sciences CRM sitting in there. Um, the, The other IP BDM who reported into me was in there. We had the life sciences BD manager in there. And so actually we were constantly sharing and constantly joining dots and stuff. So it just made the overall product that we delivered to our partners so much better because it was all joined up. Um, And we all had a global, mostly had a global outlook. So not only were we joining the dots across what's going on in the UK, but right across the world as well. And that was so powerful. I always remember particularly it was in Australia, a partner said to me, you know, you're my eyes and ears into the rest of the firm. Like you're the one who's ex- who has more contacts outside of my practice area. So yeah. you can join the dots and I rely on you to join the dots. And actually, even at Boodle Hatfield, where we're 37 partners in the UK, that is still so true. You know, the private client team still rely on us joining the dots with the property partners and things like that. So it's that collaboration, which is really key to any BD role, I think. Which, again, shows the importance of the roles and how much they have changed, I think, and developed over the years and how they're becoming an essential part of the firm and the strategy and the pitching and everything that's involved. Yeah, absolutely. I think one thing we forget as BD people that we are the ones who have the BD marketing comms knowledge and the events knowledge and the lawyers are excellent lawyers and they know the law, their area of the law, I should say, yeah. inside yeah. out. And the, the value that we can bring is, is now starting to be properly realized, I think. So yeah. gone are the days where we just make things look pretty. I mean, sadly, we still do hear that, absolutely. But there's a whole wealth of um, value that we can bring to those partners that, that the, the savvy partners are absolutely tapping into. So And because and they know that they respect that we are experts at what we do and they are experts at what they do. And so they do want our advice. They do want our coaching. They do want us to rewrite what they've written or review what they've written or just bounce ideas around. And that's what really motivates me. That's what's really powerful to me. And it's love what I do really is that real coaching consulting role of actually, if you thought about it like that, this is how the client might react to that or Let's reword that to say this because you've said it a bit bluntly and we need to dress it up a bit. Yeah. I think, again, it also goes back to, you know, a sort of bringing, being yourself at work so that you are comfortable in your own skin to be able to question, to be able to challenge. And when I say challenge, I don't mean no, I mean why. Ask the question why. Yeah. Why are we doing that? What are we trying to achieve? But it, I think if you're, not comfortable in your own skin that's quite hard to then say ask say to someone else well why do you want to do that what are you trying to achieve because we're you know it can be quite nerve-wracking and posing some of those questions to a senior partner so being being I think true to yourself and being confident and and believe in yourself I think you know there's a hell of a lot of imposter syndrome in in BD right across BD whether that's a gender thing it's another conversation for another day but in no law firms have a, a unique culture where you know, the partners are the business owners. And so, you know, we're, we're working with, you know, in A&O terms, 500 CEOs every single day. So, I, you know, there is a lot of imposter syndrome and lack of confidence, but actually we just, we need to believe in ourselves because the value we bring is really important to those law firms. It's really important to grow their businesses, to get new clients to diversify, to protect against client losses so that, you know, the, the risk of revenue loss is mitigated all that stuff is our sweet spot and where we can help. And we just need to sort of really keep demonstrating that we we can bring that value to them to help those problems. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. And, you know, keep showing, as you say, 
the add value piece because that's what they want to see, isn't it? So important. Yeah. Probably a good um, a good link into us to look at the highlights of your career then, because you know there's lots that's come out so far of the conversation. What do you class as being your highlights? I think we were talking about this a bit earlier, but I think just discovering the world of professional services marketing <laughs> yeah. was a bit of an eye opener. I mean, it's certainly not in any careers fairs at uni or school, that's for sure. Um, and given I have no lawyers in my family anywhere near, and <laughs> don't really know any, didn't, well, I know loads now, but I didn't know any lawyers either, was just never an industry I would have ever have thought that my skills would have been transferable into. So I'm really you know, everything happens for a reason. And I happened to stumble across that PwC job ad and uh, for a reason. And um, so, no, I think that's been a real highlight of my career is, is really being able to discover this career path, I think. And I think the other sort of main highlight is probably something that happens not as often as I'd like it to, but enough, um, is when you really have a breakthrough with some of the partners and lawyers where you're just coaching them about questioning and listening. Um, oh. I think it can be so powerful you ask a couple of the right questions which are to us no-brainers but to lawyers are a bit like what I'm going to ask what's your burning issues or uh, when is your panel due for renewal and what do we need to get on it what why are we asking that so but actually pushing them and prompting them and showing them that it is okay to ask that and it's quite a normal question to ask because when they come back from those meetings and go, I asked that question, I got all this information. Isn't it great? I'm like, yeah, you are well done, <laughs> But it's those, it's those wins that that's what kind of keeps me going, yeah. really. The, yeah, I've, I've taught you something new. And actually, it wasn't, you thought it was really scary, but it wasn't scary to do. And now you've seen the benefit of doing that. And now we can write a pitch that actually oh, has far yeah. more meaning than it. <laughs> And you feel like you're actually adding not just value, but you're also building that trust and the relationship, which is so important, isn't it, when you're working with partners? Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That, and then it, I suppose that, that also ties back to being being yourself because they people see through if you're trying to be something you're not, they you'll see through it, and then it's hard to become that trusted advisor. Yeah. But when you are that trusted advisor, and it takes a lot, it takes absolutely a long time to, to be able to get into that role. But when you're there, it's so rewarding. It, it really is. It is very much, you know, we're in this together. We are growing this firm or this practice or this client relationship together. And yes, we have different roles to play in it, but we're firmly doing that together. And I think that is, for me, incredibly rewarding. That's well, really great. Um, I think one of the things that you also talked to me about was this bringing your true self to work and you mentioned about making sure that you have a conscious effort to be yourself and bringing that to work as well and as you say if you're in a conversation with partners or with some of your peers being able to throw a joke in or um, you know talk about something that's day-to-day which I think is great that you do that and I think you know, from one of the things you and I've discussed as well is, is the, the importance for you around personal um, health and well-being and also the firm that you work in and how important it is even more so now to be aware of that because there's been huge ramifications since the pandemic and before for, you know, for mental health and, and how that's been um, treated and professional services maybe as, as people have got an impression that it's not as uh, forward thinking around some of those elements which I think has massively changed and I know that as a mental health first aider you'll be driving that in the firm as well which is so important isn't it? Yeah it really is and I think coming out of the pandemic mental health is is such a huge huge oh, I don't want necessarily want to say issue but it uh, almost a second yeah. pandemic I suppose you know I see mental health on the same spectrum as physical health you know it's as important and we should look at it in exactly the same way you know if we are if, if we're finding it really tough you know we should look at that in the same way that we've got the flu or we've broken a leg and you know take the time to focus on you and look after yourself and seek professional help when you need it or even if you don't feel you need it but you still want to seek professional help you know there's so many options out there I think working in law firms is a highly pressurized environment and we pile as particularly as BD professionals and I, I will go down the gender route particularly because most of the, a lot of BD are women women do it quite a lot we pile that pressure onto us and sometimes we don't stop and just ask the question or actually am I running at 100 miles now because this is an expectation of these partners or have I created the situation where I think it's the expectation of all these partners so I'm just going to keep running 
and there is a lot of pressure on BD that sometimes I think goes un- unaccounted for, or unnoticed, I suppose, in law firms, because there is a lot of focus, obviously, on the fee earners because they've got that billable time pressure. So I think, you know, mental health is really, really important in talking about it and making it, you know, an acceptable conversation to have it at work, having at home, I think is really, really important. And as I said, the pandemic, you know, that has meant so many different things for so many different people. I mean, for me, I did have a meltdown last summer coming out of homeschooling my son, which at at that point I stupidly didn't really ask for help from my ex-husband. So he was taking him out for like half an hour, an hour a day to the park. But that really was when I just caught up on all my emails, it didn't really help much. So the last lockdown, I was far better and he took him for a couple of days a week. But at the end of the first lockdown, though, I just tried to do everything. And then I really struggled in uh, trying to be a good employee and trying to be a good parent and trying to be a good teacher all at the same time. And stupidly, I thought I was infallible and I could do it all. And I got to the point where I felt like I was on this treadmill and there was one night I'd made dinner dinner was on the table and I was propped on the sofa with the laptop like I can't leave my emails because something might happen and suddenly I just stopped and was like what what the hell am I doing you know dinner's made I need to eat dinner with my son no one's going to die nothing's going to happen in my email just back off I sort of came to a bit of self-awareness around what was going on and that I was on this crazy treadmill and I needed to stop a really good conversation with my manager about it she had a chat to one of the partners that I worked really closely with and just said, you know, just give her a little bit of space because he could be not not intentionally, but unintentionally. He was he was brilliant. But he was across every detail. And so he can he can be quite what's happening with this and where's this going? So he she was able to have a word with him. And yeah, I had the space I needed to be able to sort of pull myself back out, make sure I scheduled proper breaks in, make sure I, you know, stop trying to do everything at once. So, you know, I work for an hour spend an hour with my son, work for an hour, spend an hour with my son. Obviously, it never quite worked perfectly, but just bringing some structure into my day just made a huge difference. But it would have been so easy just to have carried on and not... Go down the rabbit hole, yeah. Exactly, exactly. And I've, I've had some mental health challenges in my past, and so I have had therapy, and actually that has made me really self-aware of a lot of my bad habits. So as soon as I start catastrophizing, I realise I'm not, you know, I'm starting to get stressed and anxious and... You know, I can start, I'm so I'm self-aware enough now to realize that hang on, I'm doing that. So therefore something else is going on and I need to stop and step back. But to have and, that self-awareness is fantastic. And as you say, you know, you've had some um help to get you there, but that's what you need. And in that, I think there's so many people through the definitely through the first lockdown as well, um, when all the pressures of homeschooling and no one really knew what was going to be happening in the world and work and the pressure was very intense so for you to have been able to recognize that and stop it was great and you've obviously done a lot of work to be able to achieve that and and I know it's something that you want to make sure happens in the firm that you that you work in and that you're very conscious about so I think that's that's really great so thank you for sharing that with us yeah and it's interesting because I think that flips into one of your challenges as well doesn't it this and um, recognizing about the pressure that you're putting yourself under and this mm-hmm. self-awareness and you know as a working woman who's got a very senior role and um, you want to do well and you're ambitious and you're always striving to do more and to make it better and to as you say get the firm to the next stage and work with the partner so uh, it, it's recognized that sometimes you can push yourself and do a bit more and other times you need to pull yourself back a bit yeah yes I think we I think we you know beginning of lockdown when we all had to work from home so many of us probably had the oh my god I must make sure I'm still green or I'm, I can't leave my desk can't leave my laptop yeah. because you know everybody thinks that if we're working from home we're skiving apart from the fact that the whole world well the whole country almost our world was working from home at the same time and it was this crazy internal another internal pressure that we all put on ourselves of we're working from home so we have to work extra hard just so that people know that we're actually working which is crazy because everyone was in the same boat but I think it comes back to that that internal that pressure we all put on put on ourselves being in BD as well is well if I'm not pitching and being proactive about stuff but then yeah. there's no output value yeah, yeah. So the value is not in, is what well, the value is in the pitching, but the value, the, all the additional value is often not when we're pitching. And so it's a bit like, well, what, if you're not pitching, what are you doing? Yeah. And it's then how do you demonstrate some of that stuff in tangible things? But actually you don't need to because the value is the conversations, the value is the challenging, the value is the ideas. 
but it's carving the time out to fight to be able to do that to have the creative headspace to be able to do that and with all the internal pressures I know I've done this all the internal pressures I put on myself of I must go 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 I must get everything done right now and I must respond to every email <laughs> right now and then you're like whoa stop because actually I don't need to respond to everything now or I could just do a little placeholder like yeah I'll get back to you on that in a few days or whatever so people know yeah. that you're, you're working on you're it you've acknowledged it yeah exactly yeah yeah, yeah. but That's then ta- like taking, taking some time out to just do something else you know go and put the washing in cook you know go for a walk whatever it might be I think it's really important for our brains to be able to process mm-hmm. stuff and that's how we can then do the creative thinking which is really you know strategic thinking I think particularly uh, in your world as well you've got you know you've got to you're not going to just sit down at nine o'clock till five o'clock and be creative and strategic when you work in business development and marketing it doesn't work like that does it so you've got to kind of play the day a bit to to your strengths as well yeah, yeah. If only it did happen like that. Tick, I've done my speaking <laughs> for the day. <laughs> no, I think um, it, it really doesn't happen like that. I was talking to one of my team earlier about strategic thinking. I was like, you know, it's not just this box. You can you, you have it, and there it is. I'm now a strategic thinker. It it is so much. Yeah, <laughs> put my hat, my strategic hat on, and do some strategic thinking. I think, yeah, it's it's a really tough one and it, and people did suffer I didn't really suffer in in lockdown because we'd lost the commute we'd lost popping to prep for a sandwich you know we'd lost walking five miles through the office to find the bathroom or the printer um because you know we're all two steps away from the bathroom probably at home but all of that was thinking time and all of that was processing time as well which which just got cut and there was some science research somewhere which I can't remember where I read it but there was some science research somewhere that was all about um those gaps actually is when our brain is processing what we've just learned or what we've just heard and from and it all happens subconsciously but that mean that enables us to then come up with the ideas based on that information whereas when we're at home we're jumping from task to task to task or zoom meeting zoom meeting zoom meeting and we're not moving we're not taking breaks and we've lost that time where our brain processes stuff and so we're then really struggling to do the creative thinking to be able to join those dots and add that value was a whole heap harder in lockdown not because of the comms and the lack of face-to-face but because we weren't giving our brains the time to process to be able to then create and I think that's yeah, something I think really we need to really be mindful of and and you know and it came a bit of a thing I'll go for a walk at lunchtime but actually yeah I do because you need to switch off because your brain's not switching off. It's your conscious brain that's switching off. Think about the leaves on the trees or, you know, go and buy a pint of milk from the shops, whatever it is, but stop yeah. thinking about work because work will still be processing in the background. Yeah, I like that for the creative thinking elements. Very, very, uh, very good. And, and what, what do you think is the future of business development and marketing in professional services then? Because we've seen this huge growth. For, for BDNM in the last 18 months to two years, it's been almost forced ahead by the pandemic, which is really exciting, isn't it? And you were talking about, you know, this, this real collaboration more so than ever with the partners and the adapting with clients. And and where, where do you think it's all going to go now then? What's going to happen next? <laughs> I think it's definitely going to keep <laughs> And if you know this, you can next, you're going to be the Prime Minister of the UK next. That's it. <laughs> Well, I don't want that job. No, thanks. <laughs> I think you know, BD marketing is only going to grow. I think the roles are going to become more strategic. I think we're starting to grapple with, and it will only become a bigger grapple, is data, marketing data and marketing tech. And, you know, law firms have lots of data, but that quality of that data isn't necessarily great. Um, all that data is sat in random places and it needs to be consolidated and rationalised. So that's a big challenge, I think, for, for law firms is, is how to become better at BD and marketing using data, but how firstly get that data in order. And yeah. that's also a cultural shift for the partners as well, because the data has, has, has historically been owned by them. It's, you know, it's in their outlook, it's the business cards in their drawer, it's, you know, the Rolodex sat on their desks. And, and that's got to shift digitally, not least because of GDPR. But, you know, there's got to be a slight change in culture where the partners aren't owning the data. The firm owns the data because that's where we can then suck it into the marketing systems and really leverage that 
and and lawyers have to be better at putting data into the system so meet when they're meeting clients and pitch wins and all that stuff is valuable information to make us better at doing bd for the firms or making the firms better at doing bd as well and i think that's a huge challenge right across the industry that you know we are trying to grapple with in every firm the pressure of that's only going to rise um but it's how do the culture of data and tech meet such a traditional culture of ownership of contacts so i think roles like data stewards and data analysts and i think that's only ever going to increase and you know marketing tech people you know that's only ever going to increase as well um, but with all that data means that the BD roles and the comms roles and the relationship manager roles can be more strategic because they've yeah. got data to, to be able to bring even more value to it. But I do think some of those senior BD roles will be very much sort of business advisors type roles. You know, you're really there on the forefront of, you know, developing a business strategy, recruiting and scoping the market for the lateral partners, embedding them into the business, making them a success. You know, all that kind of stuff, I think it's just it's just strategic that partners just don't have time to do and it needs to be done, but it needs to be done well. And BD are, are the right people to do that, really, alongside, obviously, like HR with lateral recruitments. But, yeah, that's I think it's exciting times for BD. I think it's only going to get more exciting. Yeah, it's really interesting, exciting to think how it can continue to progress and how you know, closely you will need to work with the partners to ensure that success as well. So, so the trusted advisor piece comes back again to, to yeah. what you were saying earlier. And words of wisdom, what words of wisdom would you give <laughs> to people looking at doing a chemistry degree at King's College to going into <laughs> professional services, media marketing? <laughs> I do have a diploma in marketing now, but I might feel a little bit more qualified for this job. <laughs> Very qualified for you, got a lot of experience. <laughs> oh, I think I've covered it quite a lot, but I think being yourself at work is really, really important. And I know for various reasons that can be challenging, but if you're comfortable, you will you will be your best. Um, and I think believing that as long as you've done your best at that time is, I think, the most important thing. You know, you. Well, I think we beat ourselves up so much about we've got to be the best of the best. We've got to give the best presentation. We've got to give the best blah, de, blah, de, blah. But actually knowing you've done your best at that time, given what else is going on around you, whatever that might be, whether that's a shouty partner or a really tight deadline from a, a client or you've got stuff going on at home. If you know you've done your best, then that's the most important thing. And maintain your integrity. I think, you know, if you've made a mistake, yeah. put your hand up and just fix it. You know, we've all made them. I've made some bombs. I've made some bad mistakes in my time, but we learn from it. And then actually it's how you fix it and how you resolve it. That's what sticks in people's minds. If you get defensive about your mistakes, that's what sticks in people's minds. And that's not a good perception to be, to have of you. Yeah, very true. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Lucy. I've really enjoyed the conversation and uh, hearing more about you and also the the highlights of your career and and also talking about you know where you think the BDM is going to go forward in professional service. I think that's really interesting. You know, the, the marketing tech piece is more even more strategic than it already is. You know, the analysis and how that can really help a firm move forward and, and succeed. So thank you so much for your insights today. It's been an absolute pleasure speaking to you. You're welcome. Thank you.